0: Good morning morning. to our guests as well and our visitors, and what Daisy was saying is um, we have that card, if you have received that card today from our visitors team, our welcome team, please would you fill it out, we normally put it in the offering plate, uh, but if you could put it at the back where the offering plate is outside, we'd love to connect with you and to minister to you in any way that we can as a church. So thank you for joining us. Um, We have been going through the the Book of Acts over the last few months. Um, Verse by verse, we follow the the theme, the narrative of the the Book of Acts. And last week, uh, Timus did a great job of describing to us what ancient Athens must have been like in Chapter 17. Paul showed the Gospel in the city to a very philosophical and intellectual type of people. And Athens was a a university type of a city, a a city of culture, a city of learning, a city of information, and we saw Paul didn't have much success in Athens. Remember, while he was there, they called him a babbler. And so he moves on from Athens to another infamous Greek city called Corinth. Uh, One preacher said that if Athens was the city of learning, Corinth was the, the city of sin, sin city. It was the most corrupted and the most perverted city in the world of that day. And Paul arrives here in the city very discouraged on his own without his traveling companions. A few weeks back, I preached from Acts chapter 16, and I named that sermon How to Praise When You're in Pain. And we learned from Paul how it is possible to glorify God when we are in pain or when we are being wronged or when we be treated badly. But today we are in Acts 18. I almost titled my sermon, How to Persevere When You're Depressed. But instead I have called it the God of All Comfort, the God of All Comfort. And I trust that this sermon today will encourage you to glorify God even when you do get discouraged or depressed. So please would you stand with me as we honor God's word, reading from Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 17. And after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jew's I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Father, we pray for your help today. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to please be our teacher today. I pray, Lord, in my weakness, you would be glorified and be my strength. And I pray, Lord, today you, Lord, would work in our hearts to bring us more into the image of your Son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us conviction where we need to repent, and you grant us comfort, Lord, where we need to be comforted. So we pray for your help today, Lord. Let the meditations of my heart and the lips of my words be pleasing in your sight today. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So, Jay Bailey is a Christian author, and he was the editor of InterVarsity Press. He once said, Never doubt in the dark what you learned in the light. Never doubt in the dark what you learned in the light. Easy to say, isn't it? I think we do the opposite. You know, when we go through times of trial, we end up losing sight of, of what we believe. We end up losing our firm convictions. And we tend to see only the bad in our suffering, in our afflictions. We tend to see the glass half empty. For example, when we face struggles or, or trial, we assume right off that God is punishing us in some way. It's easy to jump to the conclusion that because we are suffering, God is punishing us. Remember the incident in John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples encountered a man that was born blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, whereby, who has sinned? Is it this man or is it his parents that he has been born blind? Remember the Lord's answer to his own disciples. He said to them, neither, neither, it's not his fault and it's not his fault parents' fault. He was born blind for the glory of God. Affliction is not always the sign that God is angry with us. Sometimes in fact when we suffer for righteousness sake we are doing it for the glory of God. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 Blessed are you. In other words, you have God's blessing if you are suffering. For righteousness sake, when people revile you, when people persecute you, and when people speak badly about you, on my account. So what do we do when we are discouraged in our trials? How do, we, how do we manage this? How do we cope with what the book of James calls trials of, of any kind? And here's what I want to suggest this morning. So when you are going through trials or afflictions, When you're undergoing some type of affliction, remember your conviction. When you are undergoing affliction, remember your conviction. And trust his character. And trust his purposes in and through your suffering. So my my first point this morning is from verse 2 to verse 5. We see how the Lord is encouraging Paul by the companions that he sends along. Now, if you look there in verse 1 in your Bible, it tells us that Paul went to Corinth from Athens. Now, Corinth was, as I mentioned, a very corrupt, a very wicked place. And there was a massive temple there, the temple of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of of love. And this particular temple had over 1,000 female prostitutes that plowed their trade across the, um, the city under the banner of their religion. And there were also male prostitutes there, and there were many other pagan shrines in this city. In fact, the city was so notorious for its immorality that in the 5th century BC, the Greeks coined a verb to Corinthianize, which meant to commit sexual immorality. So if a woman was visibly immoral, they said of her that she is a Corinthian. If a man was unusually wicked or or vile, they said that he Corinthianizes. And that in itself is enough to show what a wicked place, what an ungodly city Corinth was. And if you were from Corinth, it was assumed that you were either a drunk or you were immoral. So that's the context. That's the context where Paul arrives. Paul arrives into this city very discouraged from his past experience in Athens. And I'm sure the very visible, obvious immorality around him in Corinth must have discouraged him even more. Remember in Philippi, Paul and Silas were falsely accused. They were unjustly beaten. And then they were thrown into the stocks, into into jail. And from there, they went to Thessalonica, but after a short time there, the Jews raised an an uproar, and they had to flee to Berea. And the same thing happened there in Berea. And Paul had to flee to Athens. And in Athens, Paul was ridiculed, and he received a a poor response, which was probably more difficult for him than, than proper opposition, open opposition. So this is Paul's countenance at the moment. He's left His journeys and his experiences, and he's traveled now 50 miles to Corinth. And Paul is not in a good space. He's not in a good space, and we will see that because the Lord tells us from this passage. And today I want us to focus on our Lord's faithfulness to us, especially in times of difficulty. Paul's lack of funds put him in the job market as we see in this passage. And so God providentially brings upon his path Priscilla and Aquila, who were in the same trade, who were able to help him with the same work that he was doing. They later went with Paul to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla, and they hosted a church in their own home. And this is where the, the church plant started, the Corinthian church. And eventually they returned to Rome, where they also hosted a church there. And Paul says that they risked their lives for his sake. And that they were appreciated by all the the Gentile churches, he writes in in Romans chapter 16. And in one of the last verses that Paul wrote before he was executed, he sends greetings to Aquila and Priscilla, who had become very close friends. But notice in verse 5, Paul also was encouraged when Silas and Timothy rejoined him in Corinth. We see here, the role of the the body of Christ. And the Lord uses other believers to care for those who are discouraged. Notice there are two pairs that the Lord sends to encourage Paul. Um, The first pair, Cornel and Priscilla, they were new friends. And the second pair were his old friends, Silas and Timothy. And Silas and Timothy, they bring good news about the strength of the churches in Macedonia, of the, the churches that he had invested so much time in, and the churches that he had planted. This was good news to his ears. First Thessalonians chapter 3 tells us in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress, And in all of our affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Remember, Paul wrote the book of Thessalonians while he was in Corinth, right here in Acts chapter 18. And this good news that Paul received was was a great encouragement for his soul. We see here the Lord showing up. In and through the living presence of these people, the saints, the saints who extended care to Paul when he was going through a rough patch, when he was discouraged. Verse 5 tells us that Paul began occupying himself completely to the Word. Um, other versions say Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word. So when, Paul and Sila, sorry, when Silas and Timothy arrives, they didn't just bring good news about the health of the churches in Macedonia, they also brought a practical love gift, a financial love gift from the church in Philippi. And of course, this allowed him now to stop his work that he was doing and to devote himself completely to the Word. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 9, And when I was with you, And was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So Paul is not only encouraged by the arrival of his companions, but also by this practical gift from the saints. When we are saved, remember the Holy Spirit, He baptizes us into the body of Christ. All Christians are part of the body of Christ. We become members of one another. Jesus Christ is the head. We are the body. And Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 and he talks about how each member has a different part to play and to perform in the body. Even though Paul was the preacher and he was paid to to do the, the, the work of the ministry, all of us are in full-time ministry. Can I just say that? If we, are, if we are believers, we are all in full-time ministry. Some of us are vocational. Some of us are non-vocational. But we all are in full-time ministry. We each have a purpose to fulfill. And God did not design us to go it alone. God did not design us to be Christians alone. We need each other. And as we have seen, it was never Paul's pattern to be alone. And he was encouraged when these other people came alongside him to help him in the ministry. I've really been blessed this week to see how New Life Church has really ministered um, to my family while Kerry's been struggling with COVID. Um, Some lady brought us, I won't mention names, I don't want to leave out anybody. Some lady brought us um, chocolates and, and biscuits. Another lady brought us honey, ginger, and onion tea. Um, Kerry enjoyed that, I didn't get to taste that. Another lady, she came and she took uh, friends to do some shopping because they weren't able to do shopping and get some groceries and came home and prepared a meal for us and sat and ate dinner with us. Just everybody contributing in some way, encouraging our family during this difficult time. It was such a blessing. It was a great encouragement to me and my heart and my soul to see how the Lord's people are laboring together. And I want to encourage you that we need to be doing more of this. You know, we need to be meeting together more. And now that the restrictions have been lifted, we need to be part of home groups. We need to be praying with each other. We need to be meeting with each other, knowing what our needs are so that we can help each other and come alongside each other and care for each other. When we are in need, bear each other's burdens as we are supposed to as a church, as we see right here in the scriptures. My second point we see in verse 6 to 8 Paul was encouraged by conversions, he was encouraged by the conversions. Even though Paul had faced strong opposition, God graciously brought several people to salvation, including the man living next door to the synagogue and the synagogue leader and his whole family. We see in verse seven and eight that many Gentiles from corrupt backgrounds, they also got saved. Turn with me to First Corinthians. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter six. Remember, this is the church that, that Paul is, is planting And Paul lists in this passage, he lists the church who were former fornicators, they were idolaters, they were adulterers, they were homosexuals, they were thieves. This is what the church um, used to be, okay? But look at verse um, 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of who? Some of the, the believers who were part of the Corinthian church. They were like this. But what happened? Look at verse 11. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. We're still abounded. God's grace abounded even more. Amen? Amen. I hope that you pray often for salvation, for, for people to be saved, for people to be born again, for people to be taken out of their darkness into the marvelous light of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you pray often for God to use your church, to use you, to use me, to use us, to lead people to salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if we are not reaching out to the lost, then we're just another then we're just another activity group, aren't we? We're just another Lions Club. We're just another Rotary Club, a social club, where we gather together once a week and we get encouraged and we go out and we live our lives as normal, no no, change, no desire, no drive to want to see people come to faith in Christ. Then we're really not fulfilling the purpose for why we've been saved really not fulfilling the purpose for why we have been called together as a church. If we are not reaching out to the lost, we have forgotten our mission as a church. And if like Paul at this time in his life, you're struggling with discouragement, maybe you've been praying for somebody a long time, and you haven't seen salvation, you haven't seen any desire for the things of the Lord, I want to encourage you that God has people in this city that will be saved. And that's what he says to Paul. Nothing will encourage you more to see someone that you witness to get saved. Don't give up. Continue persevering. And don't be discouraged if one person rejects you. God has his people who will be saved. If God is mighty to save the corrupt Corinthians, he can save anyone in the UAE. You know, a couple of weekends ago, I got to baptize Solo. I can talk about him now because he's not here. <laughs> you know, for four years, I witnessed to sorrow since I met him. Four years ago, I got to baptize his wife and he was like, no, that's not for really, me, thank you. But I'm supporting my wife, I got her be baptized. And we went to his home and we shared the gospel with him and um, he just wasn't convinced. For four years, we prayed for him. For four years, we, we pursued him. And then through cover the Lord allowed Saul and Soldier to come and live in our home while they were waiting to go to, um, to Australia for two years or one and a half years they were there with us and I got to spend more time with them and more time. And gradually we saw the Lord work in Saul's heart and we got to see how he was to able to overcome these, these struggles and these burdens and these hurdles that were, were stopping him from coming to faith in Christ. God is able to save the corrupt Corinthians, He can save anyone in the UAE. Anyone in the UAE. Be encouraged, just like the Apostle Paul was. Be encouraged. The Lord has His people that need to be saved here in this city and beyond. Our third point, we see Paul was encouraged by the presence of God. Look at verse 9 back in Acts chapter 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Just when Paul needed it the most, the Lord appears to him in a vision and encourages him. This is Paul's third vision. The first vision he had was at his conversion on the way to Damascus, um, which occurred in, in broad daylight. His second vision, as Luke records us, uh, was the Macedonian vision that Paul received, um, which led him to Macedonia. And this is third, the third vision of Paul. Um, and apart from Luke's account of this vision, we would never have dreamed that Paul would have been afraid at this point. The Lord tells us that Paul is afraid. And Paul is fearing for his life. Paul's fear for his own safety. It wasn't just a phobia. It wasn't just a mental thing. It was a, it was a real fear based on actual events that had happened to him. We know that he had been stoned. We know the previous danger that he had been in. The numerous beatings and the attempts on his life. These were real fears. It wasn't just a phobia. And as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul as though he's like some superhuman, some some superhero, not not like us, very different to us. And we find it difficult to believe that this great hero of the faith could suffer from similar types of fears that, that we face, that hinder us. We think of Paul as some super apostle, one who never taken back by ridicule, one who never gets discouraged by opposition or persecution. But look at what is happening here in our passage. Jesus is telling us that Paul was afraid. The literal translation there, we see in this line, Jesus is saying, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. And if Jesus said he was afraid, he was afraid. If the bold apostle who could preach to all these hostile audiences and rebuke even Peter for his hypocrisy, if he could be afraid, then any of us, can be afraid. Any of us can be afraid. But we need to be encouraged by the presence of God, just as Paul was. Jesus was saying, I am with you, Paul. And Jesus has said to His disciples, He has said to you and to me, that He is with us. Remember in Matthew 28? Remember in verse 20? When He gave His great commission, Jesus promised, I will be with you only on Saturdays, right? (laughs) Is that what Jesus said? I will be with you Always. always, even to the end of the age. In Isaiah, the Lord makes a promise to Israel, which applies to all who are called by His name. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will be scorched. You will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Knowing that the Lord God is with you in whatever you are doing is really an unspeakable comfort. We need to remember that sometimes the fear of man really paralyzes us, doesn't it? The fear of man stops us from and performing the work which which the Lord has saved us for. And we become intimidated. And we become afraid. And we don't want to upset the apple cart. But the Lord is with us. Whatever you are going through, this needs to be a comfort to your heart and your soul. We need to be comforted by the the presence of God. And the phrase... I have many people in the city, I think, was a reassurance for Paul that, that God had many people there who still needed to hear the gospel, that his work was not finished, that he needed to persevere, that he needed to carry on knocking on the doors of people's hearts so that they could be saved. We know salvation is of the Lord. we understand it. But understand, folks, in God's sovereign plan, He uses Men to proclaim the gospel. He uses us to proclaim the gospel. Humans. Just think about it. The Lord could have written the gospel in, in, in the clouds, in the sky, if He wanted to. He could have used donkeys to share the gospel. But in His sovereign plan, He chose humans to do it. Humans who understand His grace. Humans who understand His love and His mercy and His forgiveness to share with others. The good news of salvation. And he's telling Paul to persevere. Persevere, Paul, because there are people in this city who will be saved. Who will be saved. There are people in Abu Dhabi who still need to be saved, folks. There are people in the UAE who still need to be saved, folks. And do you think God brought you here to the UAE so that you could make money? No. God has, a, God has a better plan than that. A bigger plan than that. If you think like that, you think in very small folks. God has a plan for all of us. And his plan is to glorify himself through our lives. To magnify his name through our witness. To tell people that Jesus is the Savior who can save them from their sins. Lastly, we see Paul was encouraged by the promises of God. We see in verse twelve to seventeen the promises of God that Paul holds on to very fast. The, the instrument, notice here in this passage through which the promise of the Lord would be fulfilled, was none other than the, the pagan Roman ruler Gellia. So look there in verse twelve. In verse twelve. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, "This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law." A little bit about Gallio. Um, secular history tells us that Gallio was a very kind and a gentle man, and that he had no major faults in his his character. And the Lord forbade in his Sovereign plan that this man would be proconsul of Achaia. And that the Lord used this man to keep Paul safe, to keep Paul from being persecuted. And Geller refused to hear the complaint that the Jews brought up against Paul. Um, since he, he was wise, he saw that the charges were, were not involving any violation of, of Roman law or of any wrong or, or, or of any right for which he was being accused, he, he saw clearly that this was just a disagreement concerning the interpretation of the, the Jewish religion and, and the law. And what does Galileo do? He drives them away from his, his judgment seat. And Paul is kept from being persecuted by the Jews in Corinth. And this decision by was a was a huge decision. It was a major decision. It meant that Paul was now he was free to preach the gospel everywhere throughout the, the Roman Empire without being charged for breaking the, the Roman um, law. Up to this point, Rome had been no friend to Christianity. Remember, Rome had succumbed to Jewish pressure. Rome was responsible for putting Jesus to death for crimes which, which Pilate and Herod knew Jesus did not commit. Roman officials had willingly, perhaps even gladly, punished Paul, as we saw in the case in Philippi. But now, there's a great change that is about to happen because of Galileo's decision. And Rome was to stop giving in to Jewish pressure and was to refuse any longer to be used by the Jews to, to hinder, to stop the proclamation of the gospel. We Christians need to realize that the Lord is either sovereign of all, or He's not sovereign at all. Can I say that again? The Lord is either sovereign of all, or He's not sovereign at all. He's using unbelievers here, unbelieving leaders, government authorities, to make sure that His will is performed. We need to trust the Lord to lead us. That He goes before us and that He places people over our lives at every single intersection, including our parents, youth. And the parents we have, even the boss that we have, even as unkind and as unjust as it may be, the Lord has put you there for a reason all have been placed there by the Lord for some purpose which we may not know at the present time but let me draw some application here as we conclude the the message this morning God knew exactly what his servant Paul needed and in this text we see God ministering to Paul in many different ways and then Paul writes back to the Corinthians from Rome He calls God the God of all comfort. Look at that passage with me, if you would. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Underline that if you have not already in your Bible. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice there in verse 3, God is called two things there, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. In His mercy, In His love, in His compassion, God is eager to provide comfort to His children in any and all circumstances. And whatever trial we face, our Heavenly Father knows what we are facing. He knows the circumstances. He knows the situation. And He offers comfort as we need. The fact that He is the God of all, of all comfort. Teaches us that all comfort ultimately comes from Him, doesn't it? So don't be confused. Don't run to the things of the world that you think will comfort you. Don't run into the arms of a stranger that you think will comfort you. Don't run into a bottle that you think will comfort you. Jesus is the God of all comfort. He is our source of peace, He is our source of happiness. And blessing. I've mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. I read the story I wanted to share with you. As we close, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of a handful of German pastors to stand up to the, um, the Nazification of the German church um, during Second World War. And Bonhoeffer's courage thrust him into leadership in that part of the Protestant church that that opposed Hitler, and there were, there were German churches that opposed Hitler, can I just say that? And he founded an underground seminary in Bavaria, and it was eventually closed by the Gestapo chief, Heinrich Himmler, and this led to his joining the resistance movement, and he's being imprisoned by the Gestapo in April 1943. But Bonhoeffer's letters from prison became a bestseller after the war. And among the letters is a beautiful poem that was written to his fiancée, Maria von v- v- Wedemeyer. and the name of the poem is called New Year 1945, and the third stanza is famous, which I have put up here for you. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given. By thy loving hand. This has been written to his fiance to encourage her while he is in prison. Really, these touching and piercing words became even more powerful when just three months after writing this poem, just as the war was ending, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung in the Flossenburg prison. But now, fast forward 18 months later, across the Atlantic in America. When another bride-to-be was grieving the death of her fiancé, she found much comfort in Bonhoeffer's poem. And her fiancé died from injuries in a sledding accident, and her fiancé was the son of Joe Bailey. He was the man that I mentioned earlier on in the beginning of my sermon. Um, he was the son of Joe Bailey and his wife, Mary, uh, May Lou. And when she mailed Bonhoeffer's poem to them, to her would-be parent-in-law, Joe and Mary also found comfort in this poem, the poem called New Year, 1945. Well, 12 years after this, now this is 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death, Joe Bailey, who was the editor of InterVarsity Press, who published many books, he received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts relating that he had visited a terminally ill woman in a Boston hospital for some period and had given her the book that Jaya had published, the book of poems, which included Bonhoeffer's um, poem. And the pastor said that the dying woman had stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort and the help that she had received from it. And a few hours later, she died. And the woman the pastor revealed was... <laughs> was Maria von Weidemeyer, Bonhoeffer's fiance, who had died 30 years earlier. 30 years earlier. The very beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells them that, that God comforts us. Why? So that we can comfort others. So that we can comfort others to trust God. Sometimes that comfort will will come full circle, just like the story of of Bonhoeffer. Just like grace, comfort is an active, powerful gift, not to be just received, but to be shared with, with others as well. It's a supernatural gift which God uses to multiply and to advance His kingdom. And so the Bible really praises those people who are simply with people in, in trouble, who, who go and visit the sick, who bring food to those in need, such as those who are in prison. And whether or not we can change the circumstances, whether or not we know what to say to the people, it doesn't matter. We've to provide comfort. And in bring comfort to those in trouble, we glorify God by really giving them a glimpse of who our God is. The God of all comfort. We give them a glimpse of how He comforts those who are in distress. I'm sure there are traumas and there are trials that you may be facing in your life in which there's probably no explanation of why they happened. Why did God allow this? Why isn't God stopping this? Why didn't God change this? There are some white questions that we will never know this side of eternity. In most cases, we don't look to why, but we need to look to whom. We need to look to whom. When we look to whom, we find a God that is the Father of compassion and He's the God of all comfort. We can surrender our pain to Him Because he can be trusted, folks. And in the end, when we finally leave this temporary troubles of this life, and we enter the permanent joy in heaven, our heavenly Father will forever comfort each one of us. He will forever wipe away our tears, and he will welcome us into a world where where comfort is no longer needed. Because there will be no more death, there will be no more mourning, there will be no sickness. There will be no more pain. Because those things would have passed away. And we look forward to that day where we will enjoy the God of all comfort together forever. But while we are still here, folks, we have a responsibility, we have a duty to pull people to this God, the God of all comfort. Amen? Father, thank you for reminding us this morning of your mercy and grace. Lord, we are forgetful people. And we need to be reminded, Lord, and thank you for this reminder. Help us, Lord, to be faithful with this truth this week. Help us to be motivated to share this truth with people around us who need the comfort that comes from the source of all comfort, the one and only who can provide true and lasting comfort, the one who can wash away our sins and grant us forgiveness of our sins and to give us His righteousness and take away our guilt and take away our shame. Help us this week, Lord, to use these afflictions that we're going through for Your glory, not for our own, but in every situation, help us to point people to Christ. In our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, please, Lord, be glorified through us this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.